It's Thursday, it's Homo Sapiens, it's time for a good old chat everybody, how are you? Welcome to Homo Sapiens. So this used to be a podcast about queer life really, and now what it is, is a, it's sort of, it's that, but it's also an Uber Eats update podcast, because I seem to only speak to you all when I've got Uber Eats coming. So, here's the deal. Uh, I've got Ty again, see, and I'm a person of repetition, uh, is coming from Jesus. It says Jesus is bringing it on the app, uh, and it's coming in eight minutes. So I think that's just about enough time to throw to the episode. Um, but I promise I won't eat on the rest of the episode. I promise that you won't hear me eating because I know that people don't like that. But Jesus is taking care of it. It says here, Jesus is a diamond Uber Eats driver. So that obviously means he's good. And we're having a Thai green curry, not spicy was my preference. We're having it with chicken um, and we're having sticky rice with it because um, I don't like vegetables. Uh, I was talking about that today, actually, how uh, we're talking about kids, how you get them to eat vegetables. And I don't know that I was encouraged to eat them. So I don't know that I've ever really eaten them. Um, but all's well over here. And what, do you know what my main takeout from the last week has been? So many of you writing in and saying lovely, lovely things about Heartstopper, this TV show on Netflix about young queer love and brilliant cast of like young queer kids, young queer trans kids. It's so cool to see people sort of getting around something and just so many people have written in and just said, I wish I'd had this when I was that age. And, you know, it would have helped me so much to be able to say who I am, who I was. So it's been lovely seeing you all react. So as one, I suppose, would be the thing I would say. And in fact, you all love Heartstopper so much that we are going to do a big Culture Club special on it next week. And we're going to talk to the creator, Alice Oseman. It's a great chat, so make sure you tune in for that as well. Now, what is happening today? Okay, so today is a very exciting day because I don't know if any of you ever read the book Shuggy Bane. It won the Booker Prize. It was written by an author called Douglas Stewart. It was a story about a young queer kid in Glasgow growing up through Thatcher and a look at what Thatcher did to places like Glasgow in the 80s, 90s. And it was a heartbreaking story about a kid's relationship with his alcoholic mum, but many other things. And about what it is to, they say that he's no no right. He's not right because he's queer and that people is his femininity. This young kid, Shuggy's femininity is a real problem for people in the community. And we see the effect of that on him. And it was the most beautifully written book by Douglas Stewart. He won the Booker Prize. It was an amazing thing. And I've always wanted to talk to him because I loved Shuggy Bain. But also then he has now got a new book called Young Mungo. Young Mungo is a love story. It's kind of like Romeo and Juliet set in a similar time, uh, different characters. It's not It's not like a follow on, but it sort of feels very um, like it's from the same author. Um, and it is the most stunning book. I cannot wait. I urge you all to read it. And I actually loads of lovely messages this week from people saying, thank you. I love getting your recommendation. So if you are looking for a recommendation, uh, listener, I say to you, look no further than getting yourself a lovely copy of Young Mungo. And we're going to talk to Douglas in a second. And we're going to hear all about the books, but also hear about his life because his story is very autobiographical. Growing up in Glasgow, young queer kid trying to work out how to be a young queer kid in hyper-masculine environments. We also talk about what about uh, what was it like for queer women in during those times as well. 
and how he tries to sort of show one of his things he tries to show the working class side of queerness because often it's very lucky that middle class people are able to be mobile when they realize they're queer they can go and find people but what if you're one of the things he says is what if you're on that estate and you don't know how to get out and you know that you need to find people like you really lovely lovely interviews i cannot wait for you to hear that let's have a look at some emails Eric said, I've recently started listening to your podcast. I started all the way back at show one, so it might take me a bit to get caught up. I'm in your future then, Eric. In six months' time, you're going to hear this message and go, oh my God, great show, and I love the topics and format. I love the sensibility of the British. Say no more, Eric. We're here to deliver. I signed up for the newsletter. Please, anyone who hasn't signed up for the newsletter, write to me. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Say, I want to sign up for the newsletter, and we'll get you signed up. I look forward to listening to more. Eric, thank you so much. Oh, can you hear that helicopter flying overhead? There's always a helicopter flying overhead in Los Angeles. I think it's Kim Kardashian popping out to get her lunch. Oh, should we have a little update of Uber Eats? It might have been Jesus arriving, actually. Do they drop it off by chopper? Three minutes. Good. Speaking of authors as well, we've had a lovely email from Peter. Hello, I write to ask you whether you may be interested in my book trilogy, A Secret Between Gentlemen, the first and second volumes of which have published. It's a great title, that, Secrets Between Gentlemen. The first volume is a biography of the flamboyant gay Victorian and Edwardian MP, plutocrat, art collector and philanthropist, Cyril Flower, Lord Battersea. Lord Battersea, no less. Okay. Never heard of this person. It's very interesting. Known as the most handsome man in Parliament, in 1902, he was involved in sex scandal, which was suppressed. <gasps> Granted immunity from prosecution, only two of his procurers were in prison. What does procurers mean? procurers i stumbled upon the story the details of which have remained hidden for 120 years by pure accident the author tony morrison once said if there's a book you want to read but it hasn't been written yet then you must write it so i did it took five years i love that i love 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 you pursuing that the research also took me on an extraordinary journey from stately homes to buried archives i came across the other world that lies behind british history writing where secrets and tips are shared including about more touchy descendants what's a touchy descendant when it's at home uh an email from adam as well with another exciting queer culture project here i'm just writing with regards to a book called queer spaces an atlas of lgbt plus spaces and stories we have been working on for the past three years it is the first book of its kind covering such a range of queer stories Book description, a queer independent bookshop in Glasgow, an ice cream parlour in Cuba where your order is coded, a cathedral in ruins in Nicaragua occupied by the underground LGBTQIA plus community. This atlas celebrates over 90 queer spaces. I love that. What a great idea, Adam. Thank you so much for doing that. Just charting these spaces that have been around for so long and link us all. I don't know. It's like a sort of a lovely map. I love it. Other Culture Club recommendations you've been writing in, Mr. Moore, Doppelganger, v- Doppelganger Vish are both in Cock with Jonathan Bailey and Taron Edgerton. Did you hear that update? That means Jesus is here. Jesus is here in a Volkswagen Golf GTI. So he leaves it at the door. That's how it works here because of COVID. No contact. So people have been watching Cock with Taron Edgerton and Jonathan Bailey. Love it. Lots of people enjoying Severance on Apple TV. That's what I'm going to watch tonight. I want to watch the new Julia Roberts Watergate thing as well. Gerard in London is loving Sweden's Eurovision entry. Hello. Sweaty Hot Dogs is reading Help by Simon Amstel. Simon Amstel's got more live dates, apparently. I love Simon and I love that book, Help. It's very funny. Thank you for all your emails, everybody. I love, love you getting in touch. Hello at homo sapienspodcast.com, at homo sapiens on Instagram. Here is my delightful chat with Douglas. I'm going to go and get my Thai curry now. 
Douglas, hello. How are you? I'm very well, Chris. I'm on actually my first tour of the UK because I didn't get to tour at all for Shaggy Bane. I was obviously, like all of us, I was stuck at home. Listen, I just want to start by saying this book, Young Mungo I'm talking about, has absolutely broken me. So you, you find me in pieces. I come to you in pieces, but a massive, massive congratulations on writing what is just yet another incredible piece of work what an, an, an amazing thing how how are you feeling about it going out and i imagine there's lots of trepidation it's frightening yeah i mean i have none of the naivety that i had with my debut novel and where everything just yes. seemed like a delight and something unexpected and and so um i'm a little bit more nervous but i will say that your heartbreak brings me joy so i'm so happy great it broke your heart <laughs> <laughs> It makes me a, that makes me a sadist, I think. I mean, listen, that's what I'm looking for in my entertainment is I want my heart broken, smashed on the floor. It started with Bette Midler and Beaches and it's ending with Young Mungo currently. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good lineage. I like that. Oh, what a lineage, huh? <laughs> what is so funny about you? You know, when you just said, oh, you were naive, naive in your first book. We still cannot believe. Can you believe you wrote your first book and you won the Booker Prize? I'm sorry, but like how... With some time away from that moment, and like you say, you're on your first tour now, like this is your victory lap a couple of years later. How do you feel about that now? Did it change the second book coming out for you? Difficult second album? Yeah, I think you can. When you write your book, you're only in communication with yourself and you can hope for good things for it. But for a debut to hope that you're going to win the booker would be beyond hubris. You know, you would be Mm. almost delusional if you thought that was even an option (laughs) for you. And so I just took it as it came. I just tried to, you know, we were all living through a weird year and my year just got weirder and Mm. weirder and weirder in a delightful way. But with the second novel, I definitely feel a little bit of the pressure, the expectation to, to yeah. for people to... I mean, the, the biggest pressure, and it's not that it's uh, really actually a thing, but I just want to make sure my readers are as moved as they were with Shaggy Bane, that, they, that they, mm. they feel these characters are very real. And so that's really, that's my own personal goal, you know. But I was grateful because I began writing Young Mungo in 2016. I've been writing for a really long time. I just haven't been being mm. published um, because I was so engaged in another creative field. And so I began writing this book four years before Shuggy was even published. And I'm so glad that I had that private space. I'm glad I had that time right. to commune with my art which is important because now uh, there's so much feedback, there's so much interference uh, um, that it's difficult. Like you say, you you started writing Young Mungo before Shuggy came out, right? Mm -hmm. What was it that had not been exorcised by Shuggy that created Young Mungo? What territory did you think, oh, that's untapped? Yeah, in fact, it was Shuggy that inspired Mungo in many ways, because I I wanted to keep the purity of Shuggy being about love, but being about love between a mother and a son. And Mm -hmm. it's it's about filial love. It's about a lot of things, but really it's all meant to make the love shine a little bit brighter between Agnes and Shuggy. But... uh, I had been thinking a lot about, in that book about femininity and about how the feminine can be under attack, whether that's a woman or whether that's a young queer boy. And for my mm. next book, that led me naturally to thinking about, well, what is masculinity and how do we ask young men to man up and to become men? And especially mm-hmm. if you're a fatherless son or a motherless son or you don't necessarily have the role model that's leading you towards that in life. And so all the time that I'm writing Shuggy, this other book is just, you know, it's it's like bursting to get through the doors. 
And I had wanted, I knew I wanted to write about young men on the brink of their own coming of age, their own discovering their own sexuality, because I find that, you know, queer love is different when it intersects with poverty and when it intersects with a working class. And I don't necessarily mm. always see that much representation there. It's not that it doesn't exist. It does, but you don't see it that often. And I just thought mm. the stakes for a character like Mungo or James, who he falls in love with, were were very different for 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 than they would be for many other characters in literature and i knew i wanted to write about that i wanted to write this sort of uh division of love and this very dangerous very tense story about a young man coming of age and everyone asking him to man up everybody from his community to his siblings to his mother to even to even the man he falls in love with and he does man up but the man he emerges as at the end is not anyone that even he could have predicted Certainly not. Um, <laughs> it's so, I mean, listen, I am fascinated by the territory that you are clearly fascinated with, you know, like asking, you know, boys to man up and all that, the attack on femininity and stuff. But one of the things that you said that really struck me was if you're working class in Britain, for example, you can't even imagine a concept where if you are queer to go to be able to leave your estate and find people like you that's not even afforded to you right yeah that's totally it and and a lot of that draws on my own experience growing up you know I'm in my late 40s now and so I came of age I discovered my sexuality before the internet before email when there wasn't really mm. any positive role models in the media that were reaching working class communities you know I also come up at the time mm. a Derek Jarman but I'm not sure that culture was reaching us and the housing schemes yeah of Glasgow and it was under the fear of AIDS everything seemed doomed for a young gay man at that time and also under the oppression of Thatcher's section 28 and mm. and so there was just no visibility I didn't know that other gay people were on the streets near me or or around and and masculinity was incredibly narrow at that time that's the thing even for heterosexual men you had to be a very certain type of man to be able to fit in you had to be hard working hard fighting hard loving love to kick a ball you know and to support, uh, you know, to love a good drink and to love following the football. And if you were outside of that, even as a straight guy, it was kind of a little bit suspect. You know, it was it was mm -hmm. a it was a system that was policing itself. And and so mm -hmm. for me, I was became almost my own oppressor because I was so desperate to just fit in and get by. Because so much of what the, the poverty that I grew up in meant or what the working class can often mean is that your universe doesn't have much mobility. You don't get to see so much more of the world. You don't, you know, Glasgow is a wonderfully diverse city. It has extreme wealth. It has a huge middle class, has some of the oldest universities in the world, some of the most important culture in the United Kingdom. But I was a kid that grew up on a housing scheme and I never saw the university till I was 19. And there it is, three miles away. I never saw the, the you know, the, the parts of the city where people do funny things with milk in your coffee. You know, all those options <laughs> where people drink coffee, in fact. And it, there it was. There it was. It was a bus yes. ride away. Yeah, but, yeah. but it was socioeconomic, but it was also psychological. You know, you just why would you go to that neighborhood? Who's invited you? What are you going to do when you get there? And so my world was very small. And when your world is small like that and you're also on the outside of it somehow, then it can be a lonely place to be. Do you remember the first time you met somebody who was like you as a young kid? Yeah, what I did actually... 
one of the funny things and part of the reason why I wrote Young Mungo is because after I left high school and then after I left university, I had people find me over the years and say, I just want to tell you that I am also gay. I just couldn't say at the time, you know, I didn't. Wow. And everybody's got to come out in their own time when they feel safe, when they feel right. That's fine. Mm. But, you know, I spent like four or five years with this lad. And then after school, he comes out. He just couldn't do it at the time but but how i coped with my loneliness as a as a young man in like 1990 and 1901 is i would um answer personal ads on the back of like teen magazines you know and i would just communicate with gay i've written about this in the new yorker i use this as the basis for some fiction there and i just wrote to other lads living all over the uk they could be in london they could be in the north of scotland and I mean, compared to how we connect on social media today and how quickly it gets very sexual, these were so innocent. They were like they were like a Jane Austen novel, you know. It was like, what can you see outside your window? And what music do you like? And do you like Michelle Pfeiffer? And you know, it was just so important. Pretty questions. racy, that. Yeah, pretty racy, pretty pretty racy. So you weren't you weren't drawing the the aubergine emoji much. We weren't, and there was no nude photos, and there was no nothing salacious. But there was a community, and there was a lot of loneliness not just my own but these other lads you know because eventually when you get a little older you can go to a gay bar you can go into town and find where you're going to go but as a 16 year old boy you know it's a bit of a dodgy place to go and it's not that you can necessarily make friends it becomes sexual really quickly it becomes these other things and and what i wanted first and foremost was a friend you know sex was great but first of all i just wanted a reflection on myself to know that i wasn't alone to feel like you're around someone else who's like you you're yeah i mean that's such a soothing wonderful thing i don't know like one of the reasons we started this podcast was i i set it up with will young and we were just talking and we were having some you know ridiculously niche conversation about whatever and it was so nice to be able to talk to somebody this is a long time ago, but it was so nice to be able to talk to somebody who completely understood where you're coming from. And I think that's universal for everybody. And it was like, I never hear that on anything outside of me talking to my friends. I've never heard that back at me, mm-hmm. you know, in on a radio, just bubbling away on a radio or anything. And it's so good for the soul. Or the other version is it's so bad for the soul if you can't be around people who understand you or get the very core of you. That's right. And so much of, of, of us as young gay people at the time was about teaching ourselves how to be and discovering mm-hmm. who we could possibly be you can't get it from your big brother your dad would you couldn't ever ask your your dad or your mum a question about what it was and so it's yeah. you know you're kind of fumbling through the darkness and and to suddenly just find these people whether it was Inverness or whether it was you know Barrow and Furnace just to get these letters was like stars in the firmament you just looked up and suddenly mm. you thought god I'm not alone and you know and all you're doing is talking oh. about Madonna um, but I couldn't yeah. talk to, to my brother about Madonna, you know, because he wasn't interested. He's heterosexual. His loss. And, <laughs> but I, do you know what's funny though? Is that I was such a paranoid, which means I must be a paranoid adult. But like, I was so I would not have written those letters on on fear of someone finding out. How did you get the guts to do that? I was just I was without choice and without options, and I had to. I couldn't stay in the holding pattern that I was in, and I couldn't get that reflection at school. I couldn't, you know, none of the lads would ever sort of reflect it back, even though some of them would have ultimately have been gay. Um, and so I just didn't have any other options. And a couple of times I tried a gay bar. It just it got to hooking up really quickly, and and mm-hmm. and then that was all it was. And then you were sort of like thrown out the other end in a way, sort of alone again. And what I wanted yes. was just just community. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, and um, I mean, it was it was such an innocent time, and it was it was good, and it was um, it was nice to just be able to like also understand and meet someone very intimately. There's there's an intimacy to letter writing that where people tell you things that they might not tell you if they met you in real life, and and that mm. I think also gave me part of my desire to become a writer. You know, just that sort of that account, that journaling, I suppose. Have you listened to a show on Radio Four, which is two people in a bunk bed talking in the dark? I've not heard that yet. That sounds brilliant. This sounds like a chapter from Young Mungo, actually, because the boys, <laughs> the lads lie in a bed together and just talk in the dark. When you said letter writing, you say things you wouldn't. It's that same intimacy yet privacy and and lack of eye contact. That's right. And you, you confess more. I think there's a line to be drawn between when you have to keep something about you a massive secret uh, that ultimately is sexual as LGBT people, uh, you can program yourself that it always has to be secret. Mm-hmm. So actually, sexual encounters can really lack intimacy because mm-hmm. you think it's clandestine mm-hmm. when actually you need to understand that that part has passed, but you've sort of taught yourself that, you know? That's right. So it's actually really interesting. I've not, I've never heard someone say that they wanted conversation and intimacy and sort of to isolate that. It's, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know what dirty stop outs I've been chatting to, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean it makes me seem like a Victorian, uh, you know, a Victorian teenager. But it was true. I just, you know, I thought I always, I think I always understood that sex was quite easy to come by. Well, it's all right for some. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say it was very, <laughs> it wasn't very good, but um, but certainly, I mean, I think also something about I don't know about all the working class, but in Glasgow at least we were we were pretty sexual quite young. You know, we were we were kicking around at fourteen years old with with girls mostly but and so sex it mm. wasn't the interest for me the the interest for me was companionship mm. uh, a question popped into my head when because so much of your work has been about the punishment of femininity in men and contextually how that was it you know what that was like growing up in scotland because the other side of this podcast you know is the masculinity in women is also punished and mm. did you ever see that being happening as you were a kid i i saw a lot of people suffer from tall poppy syndrome in women and so Mm -hmm. women i mean agnes is almost i don't know it's about masculinity but it's about that sense of getting ideas or worth above your station or thinking you're really worth something and people being like who do you think you are to feel like you're Mm -hmm. you have some kind of superiority and that's not just where i grew up that's a universal thing i see that in fashion you know i see us do this all the time we do it with celebrities too you know when they get a little bit too big we start to pick at them that's a very human nature thing but that was a lot of the attack that i saw on women but no i didn't i didn't see so much around uh, masculinity in women because actually i think the women when i grew up had to demonstrate a lot of masculine qualities they had to be strong they had to be independent they had to be resourceful and resilient and and they often had to also weather some some difficult things that were coming towards them from the patriarchy and so the women mm. although maybe not masculine per se had the strength of men in a lot of ways you know and and more and and i've always respected that mm. people always say you know glasgow's quite a masculine city and i actually think it's a very feminine city and i think that the strength of the city is the women 
Fascinating. So I've got two questions. Which one do I go for first? I want to ask you about Alan Cumming. How do you know Alan? Actually, I only know Alan. It's really strange. I should know him better than I do. But I only know him because he uh, read Shuggy Bane and he said he enjoyed it. And so that really got us connected on social media. But the funny thing is, is we're neighbours in New York. Are you? Ah, cool. We live a block apart and we have done for many years and we've never crossed paths. And so that just shows you how it can be a big city with a lot of anonymity. But I love Club yes. Coming. I love that's my favorite place to go um, in the East Village, and so I love his club too. But I'd never met him. It was only it was only when Shuggy published. I see, because he. I think I'm right in saying that he. I was with him. I think I was with him, but on Zoom mm. when he found out you won the Booker, uh-huh. and he was so excited. He literally like jumped out of his skin. I think it's like looking down at his phone. He's like, "Oh my god!" and was just so thrilled for you and. Um, I just thought it was so sweet. I just think it was. Yeah. Uh, he's such a kind, warm, wonderful person who would just be, you know, it was just pure joy on his face. I just think, think thought it was lovely. Yeah, he's been so incredible and and so incredibly generous with me. And he actually was one of the very first people to read Shuggy Bane because I sent him a copy because he's been inspiring me as a as a Scotsman out in the world. And so that was really lovely. But we did have a laugh. He said, if ever, if ever uh, Shuggy comes to the screen, can I play Shuggy? You know, and Shuggy's 14. And I'm like, yeah, you definitely can. He said, no, I want to play Agnes. And I was like, that's, oh, that's better. Great. That would be, that would be cinema classic. Well, Agnes famously models herself on Elizabeth Taylor, right? <laughs> yeah. Or, is that right? That's so right. We've think, got the glamour. <laughs> we've got the glamour. I think we could get Alan in a wig. Uh, not much encouragement required, <laughs> I imagine. Do you, have you seen that? show pn pen one pen one five i've never seen that i've not seen it all the way through but i know the one about the two women who play school, high schoolers high school kids yeah it's like i think it's it right that they because i actually haven't watched it someone was just telling me about the concept yesterday that two people wrote about their high school years but they're like in their 40s and then they also play themselves as teenagers even That's though they're right. in their 40s my God. Why and any that, of us would want would to be... go back and relive our high school years, I don't know. But yes. Well, well, I wondered I wondered that in reference to Young Mungo, actually. Like, is there a burning desire with queer people to rewrite that portion of your life and fill it with love and lust? Do, do you feel that? Yeah, I think so. I think there was a desire for me to have a young Glaswegian boy fall in love and just find the love of his life and to have him be in the tenement next door. I mean, they're very close neighbours. Mm. It has a has a little bit of Romeo and Juliet about it, meaning they look out the window totally. and they can see each other. And and that's a desire. It's not something I ever had. But, you know, of course, it was totally possible. Uh, and hopefully it's possible for lots of young people today. But yeah, I guess there is a rewriting of that. But but also uh, a desire to like be critical about gender norms and about uh you know how gendered the world was and, and the notion that a young man needs to learn how to hunt and fish and camp and and be tougher and fight and all these things and and that's the part of my childhood that I want to rewrite as well I want to be clear about because mm-hmm. I, it was really binary for me you know the things I was allowed to do and I should do uh, versus the things that were oh just not for boys Yes, I remember you saying that you, <laughs> given any any large ma- any small amount of space, you'd do a twirl, yeah. and I can so relate to that. You know, <laughs> I was like, pink nylon dresses, hair makeup, let's go. You know, that was, and then I slowly learned very well. Actually, slowly, I learned very quickly. Yeah, yeah. 
not meant to do that. Uh, someone needs to, um, you know, so something needs to change here. With that kind of you, boy, well, you you answer the question. So you never really had a relationship at all like that. Is that no? Is that right? I never, I never had a relationship with another boy. I don't, I didn't really start having a relationship with other boys or sorry, I shouldn't say boys, but men. Um, when I was till I was about eighteen, mm. till I went to college, and that's when my dating life started. Um, so at high school, no, there was none of that. There was not. There was no ex- experimentation for me there. Like I said, I was really very yeah. involved in oppressing myself and oppressing that part of it. I was trying really hard with girls. I was trying really hard with sports. I was I was just trying to I was trying with a gang that I was running around with. I was just trying to fit in in order to survive. I'm loving this chat. Douglas, for anyone wondering, curry is delicious, which I knew would happen because I order the same thing from the same place all the time. Creature of habit. Go to the feed and have a listen to part two. More wonderful words from a wonderful man. Powered by Spirit Studios.